in a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries. One group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Dennis Matouche. Jeff Mazuka. Each week, we take a look back at one movie that is reaching that 30-year milestone. Whether you love seeing these films in the theater or enjoying them for the first time at home, we invite you to join us this year as we travel back in time to 1986. I am your host, John Reed, and you're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. Good morning. No, sorry, wrong show. <laughs> I just I, I I have a microphone stuck in my face, and I want to do that every single time. Yeah, what a great to, show that I was. I want to turn into Adrian Cronauer every time I get on here. Time to rocket from the Delta to the DMZ. That's right, man. How many years till we get to do that movie? That was oh, crazy. Was that eighty nine? If it's eighty nine, we're only four years away. Well, no, three or three years away. I'll have to take a look. We. Yeah, uh, mm, that's all. That's going to be the show. It's just me going, yes. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, acceptable. Except play, very, this clip, play this clip, I, yeah. Highly acceptable. We're just going to shut up. We're not going to talk. We're just going to play the entire sound of the movie. That's right. Uh, and that's going to be it. So, Killer soundtrack, too. Oh, man. I used to listen. In fact, because I was too young to watch the movie, mm-hmm. I knew I had seen some clips of the movie when I was a kid, because if my parents would watch it, I, I would like sneak in and I'd watch certain parts. But then my dad would just play. He got the cassette tape of the soundtrack and he'd play that. And I yeah. must have, I must have had. Not only were the songs great on there, I must have had every single bit that Robin Williams did totally memorized. Oh yeah. And like I would, and, and so my friends at school. I mean, this would have been like what third, fourth grade. They had no clue what I was talking about, but I was like rattling off all the different time to rocket from the Delta to the DMZ. Is that me? Is that something like Elvis Presley movie? Viva Da Nang. Oh, Viva Da Nang. And the other kids are like, what are you doing? <laughs> you become like a godlike creature to them. Right. Because, you know. Or, or if they, I don't remember if they had school psychologists back then, but I, I feel like they would have sent me to one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's back up a little bit. There's other people here, Pat. There are other people in the other, welcome them in. There's other people listening here. From all across the world, might I say. That's awesome. Like, there are people all over the place. And at some point, I'm going to learn how to say welcome to the 30-something movie podcast in every single one of your languages. We're going to work on that. It's going to take a while. But let me, let me start, you know what, for the next at least couple of years, let me start with English. Welcome to episode number 59 of the 30-something movie podcast. We're here. You're here. Thank you for being here. That's right. Uh, so this time around, we are going to take a look at the um, the animation immigration epic, uh, an American tale. Um, so that that's actually going to be our our movie for this week. But uh, first off, before we get into talking the movie. Um, we do spoil the events of the movies we talk about, so we'll talk about things that happen in the movie, the plot points, characters, all that other stuff. So if you have not seen it yet. Uh, maybe pause this, go watch the movie first. But if you don't care about being spoiled, uh, we may give you some reasons. If you, you know, if you're not sure if you want to go watch it, just take a listen. We'll give you some ideas if maybe you should go watch it or save your time and pass this one up. Um, speaking of time and something that won't take too much time, if you could please, 
Um, would you head over to iTunes right now and leave us a review? We would really appreciate it if you could do that. It won't take much of your time at all. Um, you pop into iTunes, or I think you can do it maybe from your phone. Um, pop in your, your Apple ID and password, and then leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, that kind of lets us know how we're doing, give us some feedback. And you know what? We've actually got uh, something new as of the last you know, week or so. Um, we and this is I think we announced this on the on the last episode, but uh, and on the Facebook and Twitter and everything else, we have a new website address and we have a new website. We like all those things. Yeah, we do. So instead of me rattling off at the end of every episode, you know, you can tweet us at, at thirty podcast blah blah blah. Um, we're just gonna tell you go to thirty podcast dot com because everything's there. Everything Every- is there. Like there are it, there's like a photo shoot of Pat wearing a sequin dress. That's there. That's it's not there yet, but it's going to be there. I think that's part of the, if people if people um, donate to the show. I think that's like one of the pledge levels that you get. Like you you get a book that is the photo shoot of Pat in the red sequin dress. That's that's it, man. So that's it. And and we guarantee it will not be photoshopped much. No, no, we won't photoshop it. Maybe a little chest hair. We'll take that out, but you know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's that's gonna take a while. So that's at the higher pledge level because it's gonna take some time. Yeah, it's gonna take. Be careful what we're giving away. You well, know, we gotta make some money here too. That's that's true too. That's true. Um, so yeah, so head over to thirty podcast dot com. Uh, from there, you can find. Uh, we'll be even be putting stuff up between the shows. You know, we always do that over Twitter and Facebook. Um, but we may put up some other articles and reviews of movies we couldn't get to if we didn't have time or if we forgot to talk about something with a movie. We may put it up there. There's also some links where you can donate to the show. You can find other ways to interact with us, whether that's through the voicemail line, the Twitter, the Facebook. We even have an Instagram, which I am trying to use but have not used more than taking three pictures yet. Um, and the, there's also actually a link on the website where you can go to suggest a movie. So if you've got an idea for a movie and it's not one that we've talked about covering for right now, 1986, um, you can actually go fill out that form and send that to us and it will uh, be your way of suggesting a movie for us to take a look at. 30podcast.com. Go there. We're back. Here's the news. All the news that's new and approved by the U.S. Army, the sweetest smelling army in the world. This is just cool that we're live doing it. I'm just saying this. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've been on the same room. I, I, I like when we're together mm-hmm. doing this. Google Hangout works, but mm-hmm. I miss the round table discussion. This part of it. Yeah. Or the rectangle table discussion. Mm-hmm. I miss hearing Pat hit the table. Pound the table. Which wasn't me that one time. I was sitting on my hands like this, and it was still, and I'm like, that's got to be Mizuka, because I am sitting on my hands. (laughs) I'm sure it was me. (laughs) I'm relatively certain. All right, so we are recording this one. This may sound a little different, because we are live. And 3D. Live and in 3D. (laughs) Some of us are more 3D than others. Um, But we are live this time around. Is that Um, a fat joke? No, it's, oh, it's, here we go. it's a normal joke about fat people. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. The first time we're all back together. You, here we go. You resemble that remark. Um, <laughs> no more so than you do. Thank you. Anyway, we haven't had anything to drink, but we're here at work. Um, we're taking our lunch break to tack this onto the beginning of the American Tale episode. Uh, some of this stuff, we're recording a few things out of order because we've got we're all teachers. We've got spring break coming up. And no one is going to be wanting to record anything on spring break because either we're going somewhere or we are hibernating for the entire week. 
Um, so we're going to do, we're doing kind of the new movie news stuff. We're doing that now, and uh, we're doing this one live instead of over the Google Hangout. So, um, all right, so we got a couple things that we wanted to talk about this time around. This is our new movie news, and Jeff, you brought a few things to us. Uh, you want to start at the top of your list? Sure. So, uh, first thing that I want to mention is this idea of Indiana Jones 5. You call him Dr. Jones, doll. I'm sorry. Dr. Jones. Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> Indiana yeah. Jones 5. It's going to be a thing it's in happening. 2019. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. It's happening. It's Spielberg and, it's Harrison, and Ford. Harrison Ford are signed on. And awesome. Mm-hmm. See, I thought that about the fourth one. Like, oh, it's going to be awesome. And mm-hmm. it wasn't. And then there was Shia LaBeouf. Which just did not help <laughs> anything. So, okay, so here's my question with this one. If there is no Mutt, Shia LaBeouf's character, like, they're going to have to explain that away somehow, because I don't think Shia LaBeouf is, has he come back to movies? I don't think he's come back to reality. I don't think he's back in reality. I think he's still got a bag over his head. So, how do you explain that? Do you make this a movie that happens after Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Or, do you do like what they did with Temple of Doom and make it kind of a prequel to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and say, he hasn't, he hasn't met Mutt yet, he hasn't married Marion None of that's happened. Do you like? What would you do if this was your movie? Well, I mean, I like the idea of first of all, I'd hug Harrison Ford (laughs) and say thank you. (laughs) Um, I like the idea of doing a prequel, but I don't think you can get away with that with Harrison Ford because he looks old. He looked old in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He looked looked old in Star Wars in in Force Awakens, and that was one of my first thoughts. Is like, I'm glad he's back. I'm glad he's doing it, but he looks. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you young him down. Mm-hmm. He looks well, almost, he just looks like an old guy, or did you feel like he didn't bring it at the same level he brought it before? I mm-hmm. think that in Force Awakens, he tried to bring it at his at how he used to. So I appreciated the effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think he just looks old mm-hmm. now. Um, that being said, I don't know, you know how much of that is. You know, his acting. I don't know how much of the acting was. Directed and how mm-hmm. much was just his ability effort at this point, um, or his effort ability, or whatever word I'm going yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know how you would make it a prequel in any way to either to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I think is the only one that mm-hmm. you could probably get away with making a prequel. Well, to. you could even you could make it a prequel by like six months. Or a year. Right. Just say, like, this is the adventure he went on before you saw <laughs> this, Kingdom of the This Kingdom. happened right before. Right. This was like yeah. last Kingdom week. of the Pile of Crap. <laughs> right. Or, you know, I mean. This was the week before he's I, in that warehouse. I liked it when he was. The, um, what's her name? Marion Ravenwood. What's yeah. the actress's name? Karen Allen. Yeah. Okay. I'll just say Marion Ravenwood because I always forget Karen Allen. <laughs> I, um, so I like the way they play off of each other. I thought of all the females, you know, female leads. I thought that was, of all the stories, I thought that was great. So I wouldn't mind seeing it. I mean, maybe you could just explain it away that Mutt's off somewhere. Bam, done. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and it just doesn't even become a thing. And then yeah. you could just kind of keep the adventure going. And then you don't have to worry about, well, is he young? Is he old? Is it a prequel? And I guess a prequel would be cool, but I, I like seeing him and, and Marion, mm-hmm. uh, now Marion Jones. I, I, I like to see their interplay together. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess if they do a prequel, you know, I thought that but their, I, I would miss that. I thought their interplay was better in Raiders than it was in King with the Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like she lost something by the time Kingdom came along. Mm-hmm. 
that uh, she, she, her character lost the gruffness and toughness. Yeah. All right, so we are so consensus is we're looking forward to this. We're just kind looking of curious forward. how they're, they're going to do it. And I'm eager. Well, to my hear butt more. will be in the seat. So I'm eager to hear more about their plan for it. Mm-hmm. You know, what story do they have in mind? And interesting, and interestingly enough, I didn't hear George Lucas attached to it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, he may, he may be, he may be working on his uh, Chicago museum. He that may, could be. Maybe he's just taking a break from this one. Crystal Skull was an awesome movie. Said had motorcycle. It did have I'm motorcycle, just saying, right? some pretty cool motorcycle sequences mm-hmm. in it. I'm just saying. So mm-hmm. I hope this one has it as well. But and it had aliens. Mm-hmm. Because okay. why not? Yeah, because sure. why not? But motorcycles are pretty cool. Because yes. Lucas lost his mind. <laughs> that may have happened a while. Uh, but I digest. Sorry, George. <clears throat> you can go back to mowing the lawn. George and Val Kilmer mow the lawn. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, they're going to go again. From from last episode, we thanks, Val. <laughs> Good to have you listening again. Um, all right, so you, the next thing we had up was The Killing Joke. Um, this is the DC comic, The Killing Joke, uh, featuring Batman and the Joker. And, Jeff, you, I saw this as well, but you had a little bit of news for us here. That... Yeah, so it's going to be an animated movie that DC is going to put out, and they got Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill to return to reprise their voice talents for uh, Batman and the Joker. Mm-hmm. Which, if from you talk the back, back in the day from the animated series, right? So, if you talk to anyone that's ever um, caught any form of of animation of Batman, Conroy is like the definitive Batman voice in terms mm-hmm. of the animation world, uh, and Mark Hamill is fantastic as the Joker. So, the fact that they got the two of them back to reprise their uh, their voice talents just kicks this movie up to the nth degree. I'm I'm excited to see it. Oh, if I if, love the book. If I had to rank them, Kevin Conroy would be. He might even be my favorite Batman. Like I, I know it's animated. I know he was just the voice of Batman. But when I look at the different movies, I, I don't know. I, he may be up there as I, Michael Keaton. I love the Michael Keaton Batman. Um, I might put him higher than Christian Bale. I mean, I, I enjoy the Nolan trilogy and and all that. But I, in terms of Batman, that's no. He did the voice in like. The original animated series? The old animated series, and then when... It was like us in high school. That around us in high school time? I was middle school, but yeah. I was like late elementary, middle school. But yeah, like early 90s. Okay. Early to mid-90s. I think there were four seasons of it. Mm -hmm. Really good stuff. That was Mark Hamill and this guy you were talking about. And Mark Hamill's the Joker, yeah. No, Um, Kevin Conroy. And then then a lot of their... A lot of the DC animated movies that they've done since then, if they have Batman in it... A lot of times they've been able to get Kevin Conroy to come back. I don't think he's doing much anything else. No, no, I don't think so right now. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for this, and I don't know how much I don't know how much you guys I know Jeff maybe a little bit more. Pat, I don't know how much you watch any of the animated stuff, but if if you go to comparing DC and Marvel, DC knocks it out of the park with their animated stuff. If mm-hmm. even if their live action movies are maybe not on the same level as Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. When DC does animation, they know how to do that right. And they knock it out of the park. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. Cool. And uh, the story of The Killing Joke is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a fun read. Yeah. Um, we don't want to give away too much, you know, just in case you've never read it before. Go read it or go see this movie when it comes out. But it's a pretty pivotal background yeah. story. Yeah. It, it affected... Batman from like that point on until now. Yeah, it, it it left its mark for sure. 
There was, uh, but yeah, Killing Joke, uh, Killing Joke, written by Alan Moore. The comic was written by Alan Moore, um, who also did Watchmen, uh, V for Vendetta, and From Hell, which the Johnny Depp movie was based off of. Mm-hmm. I would say there was an animated Batman. I don't, I don't think it was a full length movie, but it had like five or six episodes, and I want to say each episode was a different style of Batman. Yes, that came out. I remember what that was called. That came out around about the time that the Dark Knight movie came out, I believe. Um, was it? It wasn't Night of Gotham. That was a. I think that was a different comic book. Was it Gotham Knight? Gotham Knight, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Batman Gotham Knight came out in. And it was uh, like different, different animation styles, different storytellers. Mm-hmm. A little bit like when did you ever see when the Matrix came out? They did that Animatrix. Yes. It was the animated. Uh, and different stories, different styles, yes. different animation yes, styles, different awesome. different directors. I, I think I still have that somewhere. That was awesome, too. But yeah, that when that came out, the Gotham Knight came out, that reminded me of I got, Animatrix. I, I bought that one, too. Do you? I might mm-hmm. have to borrow that from you, because I still haven't seen it yet. I've read The Killing Joke. Oh, you've read The Killing Joke? I've okay. read The Killing Joke. Hey, don't pound the table, buddy. I'm, I'm so, I'm, okay, I'm sorry, I got excited. Okay. That's the problem when we're live, and there's a microphone on the table. Yeah, yeah, someone... Yeah, yeah so... The, <laughs> Keep your hands where we can see We them. were... Um, we were talking about like I never, not jazz hands. I never ta- I never uh, bought comics. Yeah. But my friend would always be like, "Oh, you got to check this one out." Mm-hmm. And I remember reading the Killing Joke. And you've read that one. Okay. Holy buckets! So that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm gonna shut up now because I'll give some of the way. Okay. But <laughs> awesomeness. Yeah. Awesomeness. Mm-hmm. So where would someone catch up with like the animated series? And is there one? Is it like uh, the animated series, like the the um, DC one you're talking about? The is movies. It, yeah, Netflix is a good place. <clears throat> Netflix actually has a lot of them. They just added a whole bunch of them mm-hmm. lately. Just I want to say within like the last month, they've added. Um, yeah, I want to say they've added a whole bunch of them to Netflix. And any um, listeners just wanting to like get like, and I'd be one of them. Just is it cool? Like, hey, jump in, mm-hmm. just start watching movies. They're no all. Worries. It's a lot of them now are based after. I feel like after Superman Doomsday, where they really kind of messed with the original story from the comics. Lately, they've just been taking stuff straight from the comics. Yeah. They kind of, I think they kind of they might have realized their mistake and they're like I let's we've, we've got good source material let's just work with what we got mm-hmm. which is what Marvel's doing well in their movies the live action movies I feel like um, yeah no I, I pulled up a list of them right here you can either get them a lot of these you can find on Netflix um, if not then go to your local library somewhere like that uh, I don't know if Redbox has got them but Netflix maybe you could rent the the DVD if you've got that service I tend to go find them a lot at the library just check them out for free. Um, Flashpoint, you know, they had the graphic novel Flashpoint where everything changed a few years ago. That was back in 2011. And they rebooted all of the DC Comics, started them all back at number one. Um, a great one. If you want to see one that um, it was a great, it, go read the comic and watch this movie, is uh, Justice League The New Frontier. Yes. That's. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Darwin Cook. Thank you. Thank you it's, very much. Darwin, come on our show and let's talk about it, please. It's, yes. Um, quit mowing the lawn and come on our show. Everybody mows the lawn while they're listening. Well, manicured lawns around here. I know. It's, these guys are just... They're, During the winter, nonetheless. They're, they're, they're serious about the... Val just went by on his, on his right arm mower. <laughs> um, but no, that, one's, that one is awesome. Uh, Justice League, The New Frontier. It's kind of set in like a 19... It's like 1940s. It's like a 1930s, 1940s era... Um, and you, everybody's mm. got kind of like... Or is a little bit later, because Kennedy's president. Oh, is, oh, that's right. He was president then. Okay, yeah. so we're talking like 50s, 60s. Yeah, yeah probably like early 60s. Early 60s, yeah. Because um, <clears throat> everybody, like all the heroes have like their older looking costumes on. And um, 
and it's kind of like a, it's a story of the formation of the Justice League, because well, formation of all the heroes um, coming together because of this threat to the Earth. Um, and just a great story. But they've got a whole bunch of other ones, too. They've got a whole bunch of Superman, Batman graphic novels that they've adapted. Um, you know, they've got a bunch of Batman ones. They redid Batman Year One. That was another good one. Um, All-Star Superman. Uh, that's another great comic. Have you read? Yeah. Oh, All-Star yeah. Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So All-Star Superman was a 12-issue miniseries, and they adapted that into a movie. But just, I mean, there's, there's too much stuff to even go through. Well, and the, list, the Superman animated series that followed up the Batman one yes. was also really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so what else we got up next? Uh, Preacher. Tell yeah. us a little bit about Preacher. Well, so AMC is, has picked up uh, the TV series as produced by... Oh, my mind just went blank. It's produced by... What's his name? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Yes. Seth Rogen was on board trying to push this project through. So AMC has picked up uh, Preacher. There's been some photos, some small trailers, videos that have come out, and they finally announced a series start date, or month at least. No, date. So it'll be May 22nd of this year that okay. the Preacher series will uh, begin airing on AMC. Why don't I Why don't I go ahead right now, and we'll actually put the trailer audio in here for you so you can listen to the trailer. Um, so we'll go ahead and do that. So we'll, here's the trailer audio, and then we'll be back in just a second. What do you want, kid? It's about my dad. I want you to hurt him. You know it's a sin just to ask me that. I know. People said before you were a preacher, you did things. How hurt you want him? How far do I go? Problem is, your daddy's a big fella. He's gonna fight back. Things will escalate. That's what these things do. They escalate. Violence. Makes violence. Makes nothing much at all. Preacher! Enough! Almost done, Sheriff. Is that what you want, kid? Jesus, what kind of a preacher are you? (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. It's... Yeah. I've tried to explain to people what the story's about or what the books are about, and I always have a difficult time because it's almost it's almost impossible, really, to put it into the exact words necessary to convey the the concept of the story. Mm-hmm. It's a, and, and written, that's and written that's by when, Garth Ennis, who I right. I love his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Boys was another great series that he did, um, but with Preacher, like I spent a summer tracking down each individual issue. Okay. So I have a full collection and see, of... And see, that's uh, one that I've never read. You've never read Preacher? No. Holy I need, I need to go back and read Moses. <laughs> I need to go back and read that one. I still have... There There are two... C2. Look it up on Wikipedia, people. It, I can't even begin to try to explain it. Yeah. At the time of this recording, of course, afterwards it will have already happened, but at the time we're recording this, C2E2 is coming up in just a few days here in Chicago. So I have a whole bunch of things that are on my wish list that I want to go buy. 
I've got a couple of the first graphic novels of Saga that I bought last year and still have not read. Okay. So I need to get started on those. The Preacher's another one that I want to read, especially knowing that the TV show is coming out. Um, but yeah, no, that I mean that's one that I've always had people tell me you got to go take a look at this one. I bought it on my Kindle, okay. Volume One. There, I think there's nine book they volumes. Were, they were doing a sale a while ago where you could get it really cheap on the Kindle. I thought. I think that's how I picked up the first book. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's it's not for the younger readers. Yeah. It's very much uh, an adult themed comic when you're dealing with the idea of God abandoning his post and angels and demons having babies and babies being sent to live in the embodiment of a preacher in Texas. Yeah. Yeah, I think I just did it. There you go. <laughs> you summed it up, man. You summed, you summed the whole thing up right there. That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just, but it's a wild ride. Yeah. It is a wild ride of a book. So I'm excited to see what they do with the series. And I know after watching Walking Dead, they'll probably stray from the book in mm-hmm. some ways, but um, I'm hoping that they will stay as close to that book as possible. Yeah. Because Ennis did a great job with the writing of it. Yeah. And that's, um, when is it coming up? May 22nd? May 22nd. Okay. So I'm assuming it'll be well after, uh, well, well after Walking Dead is done. Walking Dead will be over by then. The Sean Parker's home movie plan. Yeah, so Sean Parker, he of Napster and Facebook fame, has come up with a plan to be able to stream new releases at your home the day they come out in the theaters. And what struck my attention with it is the backing that he is seemingly getting. Uh, Spielberg, Peter Jackson, J.J. Abrams, Ron Howard, Brian Grazer are all saying that... And the sad thing is I'm seeing the look on Pat's face and he wants to talk about this, (laughs) but he's got to go teach. I've got to go teach. Sorry, buddy, but I hadn't heard about this, so I'm just... This sounds very cool. We can talk more about it. Yeah, we'll talk more about it later. Well, yeah, I don't want to wait, but it's just... Different, and I. It's cool. Yeah. I, I can't wait to listen and hear what the uh, rest of this is. And then so, you can then you can give your feedback when we do our Batman Superman show. Uh, yeah, th- this there is all new information to me, yeah. so I'm just out on the learning curve. You guys, awesome. all right, peace out. Um, so yeah, he's come up with a, a, an idea to make it more feasible for larger families to enjoy movies when they come out without having to wait for uh, DVD or online other online streaming services to pick it up. And it's so it's called Screening Room. That's the, the name of the program. And like I said, it, you can uh, screen movies at home when they are released in theaters. And the way that it's right now supposed to work is that you have to pay $150 for the machinery, for the uh, anti-piracy uh, equipped box to be able to stream these movies. And then it's $50 a title. Which at first I was like, God, I may as well just go to the movies. Mm-hmm. But I'm not thinking in terms of family. Right. If you have a family of four or five and you want to go oh, to a movie, totally worth it. $50 <laughs> is less than what mm-hmm. you would spend taking your family to the movies. Right. So why wouldn't you mm-hmm. you know, spend the $150 to invest in the box right. to then be able to just pay you know, $50 for your family or you know, the way I, I see it in my life right now, get a group of friends together. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about trying to fight and get tickets to a movie like Star Wars. Right. You know, if, if this thing becomes a reality, you can watch the next Star Wars movie in the comfort of your own home. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know, split the cost amongst however many people are coming to the coming to the house to uh, to watch the movie. 
after you purchase the movie, you have 48 hours to watch it. So mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to watch it right away. Right. So it's like a net, like a iTunes rental or a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the you know it'll the company will pull the movie off your device after X amount of time after the 48 hours. Um, and then I found out that so of the fifty dollars, twenty dollars of the fifty goes to various movie chains, movie theater chains, and I don't necessarily know how that gets determined as to which one. Well, we were um, saying before we started recording, we were saying like, do you buy? You know, is it a an AMC box or is it a you know Carmike Cinemas box or is it a yeah? yeah. I mean, do you, does, does each theater chain company have like their own their own anti-piracy box that you, you purchase it from them and that's how you right, get right. your movies yeah. or if they don't what's to stop them from doing that if this thing becomes right. a reality um, but $20 would go to a movie, uh, the movie chains to help alleviate the cost of or that's being pulled out of their pocket um and then the consumer would also get two movie tickets to a cinema of their choosing. So you know, so you're paying fifty dollars. You get, you get the movie streamed to your home, and you also get two movie tickets to go see a movie. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad deal for fifty bucks when you start looking looking at it that way. No, in which when we again we were talking before we started recording and saying that that's kind of what comic books have done is that they know that there's an audience for the digital. Comics, but then they know that there are people like me who still want to have that physical, they want to collect that physical comic. So Marvel, at least, I think has done this very well, where if you buy their comic, you automatically get, and and their prices are a little bit higher than DC, but if you buy their comic, you automatically have access to that digital copy, and that's yours. So So that, that kind of sounds like... So do you think this is a good idea? You know, I, I think something like this is a good idea. When I when you showed me this because I hadn't really had a chance I heard of this but I hadn't really looked into the details. Um, I see the potential and I see that eventually I think this is where we're going to have to go, um, just because of the the level of piracy and the expense of taking a family out to go in to see a movie. Like I, I would go see movies all the time, but now as a family of four, I mean we're talking. I mean, it's almost like going to an amusement park. Like, I mean, would, would, I, would I take the kids to Six Flags, or would I take them to go see an hour and a half movie? And I'm, I feel so like I'm assuming <laughs> if you and your wife and the two yeah. kids go see a movie, you're spending at least thirty to thirty-five just to walk in the door. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we're probably we're, we're probably, and of course, you got to get popcorn. And right, else. and then you, and go, you go to. The I mean, we're probably that's another twenty to twenty-five dollars. We're, we're probably looking at every time we go see a movie as a family of four, we're probably looking bare minimum. Uh, sixty. It probably ranges between like sixty to eighty dollars, depending on whether we're going to see something that's more of like a matinee or it's a cheaper theater. Or we don't tend to go with the kids to like a you know an evening show. But um, yeah, no, I mean we're at minimum we're probably probably paying about sixty dollars. So if this if this device were available to you, and it works the way that it's been uh, listed, um, would you invest in it? Or is there something about going to the movie theater? For me, that, there's still something about going to the okay. theater. Yeah, it's, it's like I, that argument between: do you download books or you still right. go to the bookstore and buy them? Right. I still I, I've done both. I prefer to go to the bookstore and buy them. And even though I'm, you know, I, I'm a very techie person and I love the technology stuff, and I there are reasons and times that I love a digital book. 
if I'm going to sit and read a book, I tend to really like to have that physical book in my hands. Um, and the same thing with going to the movie. I mean, I love going to the movie theater. I used to work at a movie theater. To me, there's just something different about going with and being there with a group of people. Um, I could do without like the obnoxious teenagers and the babies crying in movies where there shouldn't be babies watching them and things like that. But I, there's just something different about going to mm-hmm. a theater and physically being there with a community of people. Um, you know, because you do this. I'm thinking of the times that I've gone to see a movie, and or maybe Sharon and I have gone to see a movie, and it's maybe the first weekend the movie came out or the first week, and when the movie's over, people applaud. Mm-hmm. Like, you get that. I, I can't see that when a movie's over, me sitting at home, like everybody in our house just stands up and is like, mm, bravo! Great. <laughs> Good job, minions! <laughs> I, it's just not the same. It's not the same experience. And I think theaters are trying to do a lot to get people to come back. Yeah, like you know, Pat and I, we just bought our tickets to go see um, Superman, Batman, or Batman. I put it Superman first because I'm, <laughs> te- I'm Team Superman, so uh, Batman, Superman. Uh, we just bought our tickets, and our tickets were about seventeen dollars a piece because holy Jesus, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're actually going to be seeing him. That's why oh, they were seventeen. So it's it's a live performance. <laughs> Jesus will be there. <laughs> no, oh, Jesus, Jesus, yeah, Jesus will. <laughs> That's be there. why it was seventeen dollars. Um, it's it's a perk of the uh, of the theater. Um, no, it's um, because there is one theater there that is the they call it their prime theater, and it's got like the the best screen, the best seats, with the subwoofers built in and the the, the rumble seats and the best speakers and that everything is like the best it could possibly be but that's not this the, is the, that's not the 4d one it's not the 4d one okay no i'm not ready to have like wind and rain in my face yet i'm okay i would like to go to one of those at some point but i don't know that i need to smell what batman smells like so takes off the suit right <laughs> 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 wow that's the killing joke get this man <laughs> a wet nap mm. <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think theaters have been doing a lot to try to bring people back the theater where I'm going to see uh, Batman vs Superman has put in those reclining seats, mm-hmm. so they took out a number of rows mm-hmm. of seats to put in these larger uh, reclining chairs. Which I like them, first of all, because they're very comfortable, mm-hmm. and secondly, there's enough of a row separation yeah. that if something's happening in a row above you or a row mm-hmm. in front of you, you don't notice it as much. You, you don't notice it at all. Yeah. You know, even so much when people are getting up and moving, mm-hmm. you're sitting up so much higher that you just very rarely will you be detracted from a movie because of that. Yeah. So you don't have to worry now about the clowns sitting either side of you and make sure that they're not on their phones or whatever. Right. Well, and the other one, too, the theaters that do, like we went to one in, I think it was in Arlington Heights, Illinois, um, and it was a it was one where you order the food and you actually have people. That's a, um, that's a new one. Yeah, they and just, you actually have they the people. That they there. have the people bring. Uh, this one, know, this I one think. may have been around for a while, though. I think it's been around for at least a couple of years. This, it's I think it's called Star Cinema Grill. Yeah, that one. And I used to work right down the street from there. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I mean, that one in you know, a couple of years ago, maybe okay. one or two years ago. But I like that. I mean, we we saw. Um, I don't know if I like that. Really? If I start getting into the movie, and I've gone to places like mm-hmm. that before, if I'm getting into the movie, I you know I don't want some guys having me on the shoulder back. Uh, what did you want? Oh, here's your drink, or here's. Have your you whatever. been there? Have you been there though? To that one? Yeah, not that one. Because they don't do that. Like you, if there's something you want, you actually you uh, press a little button, 
and there's a light that doesn't distract other people that kind of shows up in front of where your seat is, and you mark everything down on a little paper menu that they have. So they've, they've taken like the conversation the right. out of it. Yeah, okay. so you don't you don't ever have to speak to the server. Like, there's no distraction at all. They okay. quietly bring you your food. You could barely even see the person. So that's a step you. in the right direction. Right. I mean, something like that. I heard that, or, I heard that one in particular was pretty expensive. You know what? It, I don't know that it was too big. It wasn't $17 a ticket, and we'll, we'll put it that way. It was maybe maybe 12 or 15 a ticket. Um, you know, and, and then the food was fairly reasonable. I mean, it would be like going to, I don't know, going to like a Chili's or a Olive yeah. Garden or somewhere like that, that type of price. But I don't remember the name of the one that my wife and I went to. Okay. But we saw, I think we saw Dawn of the Planet of the Apes there, and we, I, I liked it. Actually, we had a Groupon for it, so that's... Between the two of us, it was $100. Oh, it's fifty dollars just for the tickets. Wow! And then the uh, if that was the case, then I'd buy the <laughs> right. I'd buy the anti piracy box and watch it at home. Yeah, um, um, I would be curious. I, I would. Mean, we like had a to gift see... card to use, so it wasn't okay. our money we were spending. But yeah. the idea that we only got one movie out of the out, out of the hundred dollars out of the hundred dollar yeah. gift card that you know we were like, oh, this would be great, and go see a couple movies for hundred right. bucks. Well. Not whereas, if you're planning on... Whereas back in the day, and I, as far as I know, we don't have any more around here, we used to have the $1.50 theater. You know, When yeah, that was around, you could go see like 20 movies. Yeah, I, I think those are <clears> gone. 30 movies, 40 movies, whatever. I think the cheapest that I've yeah. seen was like maybe $5, $6 yeah. seats. Somewhere. One of them's doing, like there's a theater around here that's doing like on Tuesdays, you can go see a movie for $5. I think it's about the, the cheapest you can get. Mm-hmm. But, um, the other one that I would wish, and if there's anybody here that's affiliated with them in any way... Get an Alamo Draft House to come to Illinois. Like, get it done now, please. Because my brother and sister have gone to those, and they've said, once you've gone to an Alamo Draft House to watch movies, you, you may not want to go to any other type of theater. And I've heard that from several other people, too. It's the same kind of so- concept where it's more of a, like, a, there's a dining experience, but you've got, you're still in the movie theater. But they put the kibosh on any kind of talking or any kind of disturbance. Like, they're very strict about, no, you're here to watch a movie. If you do anything that's distracting, you're out. Um, you know, and then, of course, they serve food and they serve alcohol. And they've gotten to the point where they're, you know, they're so popular that they even are making their own movies now. And screen, oh, really? Yeah, and screening their own movie. Like, they're their own production company now. And they've, they've started to expand. I feel like they've, hmm. they've moved out of Texas, and they know there's a few locations in the south and I think they're moving up this direction but they don't they obviously don't have one in Chicago yet. Did you did you and Pat talk Captain America? We did. Okay. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Team Iron Man or Team Cap? I'm on Team Cap. Okay. So yeah. am I. I'm just and, curious. And if we, we we won't right now, um because this will this will make this episode end up being almost like two hours long, um, and I'm not kidding because we're we're like we're like 35 minutes now that we've been talking our new movie news, and our American Tale episode went about an hour and a half. <laughs> so, it's those little ones. You're like, it's a kids cartoon. We won't talk that long, and then Pat and I get on the topic of immigration and and uh, Irish drinking, but you know, because um, that was in American Tale. Uh, no, if if I was. Because I'm basing a lot of my stuff off of the comic. And the Civil War comic is what made me stop reading Marvel. Really? Because of the way that comic ended. I actually... I, I never read it. Very literally. I it's. I I'm, would imagine it's different than the way the movie's going to be. I'm more of a DC guy mm-hmm. than a oh, Marvel I am, guy. And I am so too. I, yeah. I never really followed the Marvel comics. Without giving anything away, or without giving too much away, 
I literally and physically threw the comic on the floor and was like, no, absolutely wow. not. <laughs> wow. And I've almost never had a reaction like that to a comic before, but it took, it took what I felt the character, how I felt certain characters would respond to a situation. And when it was over, I was like, no, no, that's just wrong. Hmm. And I got so mad. I'm like, nope, I'm not reading Marvel anymore. Yeah, you know, and I'm basing my decision on the characterizations in the movie. Right. So well, and, I, I'm, and I'm going to go into the movie just treating I, it as part of the Marvel cinema, cinematic universe, and that's it. I mean, out of that first go-round of movies, mm-hmm. standalone movies, Captain America was my favorite. Oh, yeah. I love well, the characterization. Can, I love the story. And just, over the course of the last few movies, you can see there's that little bit of tension kind of building between yeah. Tony and Well, they, they laid it on, on pretty thick. Mm-hmm. In, um, Age of Ultron. Yeah, Age of yeah. Ultron. Like they were deliberately mm-hmm. setting, you know, trying to set up Civil yeah. War. Yeah. Pat and I did both talk about how our favorite part of the whole trailer was just the uh, the very end of it. Yes. All right. I'm lost my patience. Lost my patience. Underoos. Because that, if you didn't follow any movie news at all, and for him to yell out underoos and have Spider-Man show up and steal Captain America's shield, I was like, oh. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> that was the point at which I said I also had a reaction. So the opposite reaction to the comics, I took out my wallet and I threw it at my computer screen at that point. You actually I, were there. I was there. Like You unloaded cash <laughs> on see, your computer. Which is odd because I, I never even have any cash, so I don't know who I stole that from. But, um so, needless to say, we are looking. Although I to did it. have to explain underoos to someone recently. Oh, did you? Yeah, they didn't understand what that meant. That's sad. Yeah. Or, or we're old. Well, we are. Or both. <laughs> we are old. Okay. It's true. All right. Well, so what we'll do is we'll leave our ten Cloverfield Lane discussion for next time. Um, but we will, uh, for the rest of this episode, we're going to move on into uh, Pat and uh, Pat and I had discussed uh, an American Tale. So we're going to move on to the American Tale discussion. So, American Tale came out on November 21st, 1986. It was rated G. Uh, the director was Don Bluth. Um, actually, I'm just going to list all these together because they all worked on pretty much the same movie. So, the director was Don Bluth. Uh, producers were Don Bluth, Gary Goldman, John Pomeroy. Executive producers were the people that own our entire childhood. Uh, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, uh, Steven Spielberg. So, they're... You know, they're back there in the background doing stuff, too. But, uh, yeah, but Don Bluth, the director and also producer on this movie, and Gary Goldman and John Pomeroy did the movies The Secret of Nim, The Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Titan AE, and a whole bunch of other animated films. So if there was an animated movie that you absolutely loved from the 1980s, um, it was probably one that they did. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also had, and you know what, this movie, and it's kind of sad that it's a cartoon, this is also the movie where it's probably not good to be a member of the cast because you're probably dead. Really? Yeah. A lot of people died. Huh. Not, not, not like make it not, they didn't die because of this movie, but a lot of people died that were in this movie. All right. All right. I mean, it's a natural consequence. It wasn't this movie that killed them, but. Right. Or could have been. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, Yeah. Hey, like Indiana Jones says, not the age, it's the mileage. Maybe something in the movie. It's true. Fortune and glory. Um, all right, so the writers on this one were Judy Freudberg. Freudberg? I think I said that right. Um, she, unfortunately, died in 2012. 
Um, she did, and actually she and the next person, Tony Geis, who died in 2011, uh, worked on some of the same movies. They both worked on Sesame Street, the TV show. They both worked on writing uh, the Sesame Street Follow That Bird movie with Big Bird. And they both worked on writing The Land Before Time. Uh, David Kirshner, who is still alive, was also a writer on this movie. And he did An American Tale, Fible Goes West, the sequel, uh, as well as the movie Hocus Pocus, which I think is probably one of my sister's favorite movies of all time. Cool. Uh, and then we have, for the music, we have James Horner, who, of course, died last summer. Um, he did, I, I almost ran out of room. I know Google Docs, you can like go on forever, but I almost ran out of room listing the music he's done. Yeah. It's, I, we're in, I'll list a few, but this is by no means anywhere near his contribution. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Cocoon, Commando, Aliens, Willow, Field of Dreams, The Rocketeer, Titanic, Avatar, Braveheart. Pretty, and, pretty impressive list. I mean, that's, Yeah. When he died, he was 61. Like, that guy That guy probably did three million times as much as I will ever do in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah he, yeah. So, all right. The budget for this one was $9 million. The box office was $84 million. Uh, the cast for this one, Kathy Ann Bloor died in 2002. She was the voice of Bridget. Uh, she was in the TV. The, Did you say $9 million and then $84 million? It made $84 million. Cool. So All right. this one did well, despite the critics. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, yeah, Kathy Ann Bloor, who did the voice of Bridget, um, was in the TV show Gem, the cartoon, Gem and the Holograms, uh, in a movie with Whoopi Goldberg called Fatal Beauty. Dom DeLuise, God rest his soul, died in 2009. He was Tiger, the big orange cat. He was in Blazing Saddles, The Muppet Movie, History of the World Part 1, Spaceballs, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and a whole bunch of other things. John Finnegan, who died in 2012, played Warren T. Rat. He was in The Natural, Last Action Hero, Mars Attacks, and a few episodes of Columbo. Mm-hmm. Philip Glasser, who did the voice of Fievel Mouskowitz, uh, did American Tale, uh, Fievel Goes West, Star Trek Insurre- Insurrection, and Pool Hall Junkies. Amy Green, who did the voice of Fievel's sister Tanya, uh, was in a TV movie called Helltown, and not a whole lot of other things. Uh, there's a singing artist named Alitza, and she did the singing voice of Tanya Mouskowitz. She was in the TV show My Two Dads, uh, General Hospital, and a lot of other TV shows. Madeline Kahn, who died in 1999, was Gussie Mouseheimer. She was in Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, and Clue. Uh, Pat Music, it looks like music, I don't know if it's pronounced music. Uh, Pat Music, who played Tony Taponi, um, actually was a woman. It's a woman, Pat, so... Um, mm. I know with a name like Pat, you know, it's sometimes difficult to tell. That's right, man. Um, I, th- I was watching something from the SNL app the other day, and yeah. one of the episodes of It's Pat came on. I'm like, you know what? I just want to get that theme song, so every time I see you walking down the hall, I'll just start playing it. <laughs> put it as your ringtone? I'll put it as a ringtone. I'll just put it on my phone, so every time I see you, I'll just hit play. I'll, I'll keep it in my pocket, hit play, and just, it's Pat. Um, yes. So, Pat Music or music, I don't know, Uh, played Tony Taponi in this one. She was in Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the TV show Duckman, and the cartoon The Extreme Ghostbusters. Nehemiah Persoff played Papa Mouskowitz. Uh, He was in Some Like It Hot, Yentl, and Twins. Christopher Plummer was Henri the Pigeon. He was in The Sound of Music, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, A Beautiful Mind, and Up. Neil Ross played Honest John. He was in Back to the Future Part 2. He was uh, Rambo in the old Rambo cartoon. 
He was in the Visionaries cartoon, which I know we talked about one of the last times. Um, and he was in lots of other cartoons and video games. Will Ryan played Digit, uh, the little cockroach. He was in The Land Before Time, The Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin, and he was the voice of Tigger and Rabbit in some of the early 80s Winnie the Pooh cartoons. Okay. Hal Smith, who died in 1994, was the character of Moe in this movie. Uh, he did the voice of Owl and Winnie the Pooh in a lot of the early 80s Winnie the Pooh stuff. He was also in DuckTales, Beauty and the Beast, and Davy and Goliath. Uh, last one, Mama Mouskowitz was Erica Yon. And she was in The Godfather Part Two and American, Ta- American Tale, Fievel Goes West, and Corina Corina. That's it for the cost. Er, that's it for the cost. The uh, cast, the cost or the cast. Um, yeah. Either one. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave this one a 68%. The audience gave it a 71%. Uh, Ebert, and we'll, we'll talk about our friends Siskel and Ebert um, here in just a moment, but... Um, they've not been agreeing with us on some of the movies that we've liked lately. Uh, Ebert gave this a two out of four stars, and Siskel gave it a very definite, very emphatic thumbs down. So, and these were the guys that liked... At, at least one of them liked Repo Man. Which, which was okay. That was a quirky <laughs> little movie, and mm-hmm. that's cool. But what was the one... What's the, uh, these are the guys that liked Delta Force. I think so. Yeah, I think Ebert liked Delta Force, if I remember right. I just, I just, I feel, I feel like I've got this vice in my head pushing it outward mm-hmm. when I hear those things. Mm-hmm. I, I can't describe it. I mean, it's just. Well, there's not enough Chuck Norris in this movie. I, I don't know, man. I mean, if, I don't like Chuck. I, I don't know. If there I was a, know. if there was a chipmunk named Chuck Norris that showed up at one point in this movie, everything would have been fine. This, this is the part in, in the podcast where I just sit here and just shake my head and say, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, just, I, don't, I don't, I can't figure that out. That's fine. Continue with your introduction because I'm just hey, in a that, That's all right. So clearly, again, uh, these guys did not care for the movie, but now we get on to the awards section, which almost is almost as long as reading the cast itself. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Music Original Song Oscar for the song Somewhere Out There. Mm-hmm. Uh, nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Song for Somewhere Out There. Mm-hmm. Nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Fantasy Film. Nominated for Best Music as well. Uh, an ASCAP, I forgot to look up what that is, but it won for the most performed songs from motion pictures. ASCAP, that's a big music organization. Okay, I mean, that, kind of that's what I figured. I knew, I've, I knew I've heard ASCAP before, but I, wasn't, I didn't look up to see what the acronym was. Yeah, and now I'm going to, I don't know what the acronym is, but, but I know it's like when you get involved with ASCAP, that's like a, plus it's kind of fun to say. But yeah. Right, you know, it's, it's better than, a, a cap is better than a hat. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's that's some big music organization. And, okay. Yeah, because yeah, I, I I went to go somewhere for lunch today, and there was you know not the cap, but there was the the uh, hat kind actually pulled in front of me in a parking space, and I was not very happy about it. That's, um, that's right. But that's something totally different. That's not a, a musical organization. Different podcast. Uh huh. Totally different. Uh, BMI won for most performed song from a film. Grammy Awards won one for best song written specifically for a motion picture or for television. Won for song of the year and was nominated for best album of original instrumental background score. Uh, best pop performance by a duo or group. And won the Young Artist Award for best animation voiceover group and won for best motion picture animation. Yeah. So a lot of awards for this one. Nominated or won. They, they had a lot of awards. Well, you're right, and you said the thing made what? <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. It, yeah, eighty-four million. Oh, sorry, I'm allergic to bad 
movie reviewers. <laughs> but uh, it was um, it made eighty nine million. I think it was eighty four million. It made eighty four million. Yeah. The thing cost nine million. It made. I mean, so even the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, which obviously people weren't going on Rotten Tomatoes thirty years ago and doing it. No. Yeah. So, I mean, the the bloody thing made. 75 million, my math's way off, but like almost 70 some million dollars. I mean, that's the biggest award. That's so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, for this one, here's a little bit about the story, and then we're going to take a, take a listen to the uh, trailer audio. The Mouskowitz family decides to leave Russia when the human village they live in is attacked by the human Cossacks and their cats. They board a ship in Germany and head out across the ocean for America, because there are no cats in America. Uh, during a fierce storm, the young mouse Fievel is separated from his family and cast overboard. Fievel's family believes he has died, but he washes ashore in New York City and successively meets a cast of characters that each welcome him to America in very different ways. Ultimately, Fievel ends up in a situation where the local mouse community is trying to rid themselves of those pesky cats once and for all, and Fievel's suggestion to scare them away using an old mouse legend known as the Giant Mouse of Minsk is adopted and put into action. The mice succeed, and Fievel is eventually reunited with his family. This holiday season, Universal Pictures brings you a very special motion picture experience. The first animated feature film presented by Steven Spielberg. An American Tale. The story of one family's journey to America and Fievel, their son, who got lost along the way. Don Bluth film. This was, as they mentioned in the trailer, this was Steven Spielberg's first time working with an animated film. Uh, this movie's success, in conjunction with the success of, get ready for this list, The Land Before Time, which was also directed by Don Bluth, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, also executive produced by Spielberg, led Spielberg to create Amblimation, which was his animation studio with Amblin, um, which then would ultimately become DreamWorks Animation, who is responsible for Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, Madagascar, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yep. Uh, and American Tale was the highest-grossing non-Disney cartoon of at the time. Um, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg were executive producers, proving once again that they have pretty much crafted our childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a scene in which Fievel presses up, kind of presses his nose up against a window to look into a classroom that is uh, filled with children, and uh, that apparently is based on a story that Steven Spielberg, um, his grandfather, told him about, um, that when they were looking at the uh, school children in America, that they were only allowed to kind of look up into the windows and listen to the lessons uh, while they had to sit outside in the snow. They weren't allowed in the schools, so that was kind of a personal story. Um, from Steven Spielberg. Um, let's see. Let's see. Is there any, anything else with this one? Um, a lot of famous people in this one. Um, you know, a lot of famous people that are no longer with us, but a lot of famous people in this one. Um, a lot of great songs, too. In fact, the, the Somewhere Out There, when we watched this with the kids, um, Sharon did not know that Somewhere Out There was from this movie. She knew it from, oh. from hearing it on the radio. 
Yeah. Uh, but did not know that it was from this movie. That's funny. So, um, and actually, Fievel, going back to the Steven Spielberg and his grandfather, Fievel was actually Steven Spielberg's grandfather's name. So he they named the character after uh, Steven Spielberg's grandfather. Yeah. All right. So let me. Uh, you know what? Let's do this before we before we get into the. Uh, the, the tirade on the uh, critics and how they felt about this. I've got some quotes from them that I'm going to read to you and, and see what you think. I think I kind of know what you think, but um, should I stay quiet or should I just go spur the moment reaction? Well, I'm going to ask you first what you liked about the movie. Let's do that. What did you like about the movie? Do you have a favorite scene or quote or, or just in general? I, I, well, I saw it as a kid. And then the very next time I saw it was this past weekend. Like I don't okay. remember watching it in between. And I just, I remember, you know, what a kid would remember of the movie, the adventure story and all that. But then watching it this weekend, I was just amazed with, my gosh, this just, this just tells a very poignant immigrant story, a story that many of the people in our country can share. Um, and it tells it in a way for kids. It tells it animated and in and, and, and a way that kids could kind of, access it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, And not even necessarily kids like of the junior high age, because, you know, they're probably at the age that, you know, you can start telling them just a flat out story and, you know, what happened in history and they can process it. But this tells a story of immigration in a way that kids like my children's age can begin to understand it. And even if, even if, you know, I mean, even if there are there's been so many generations and so many ethnicities that have emigrated to, the, to this country during other times. So, I mean, this, this doesn't tell the story of everybody in the country, but I just, that's what really, that's what I liked about it is just that it, it, it told that immigrant story. And I mean, I'm, I'm of Italian and Irish descent. So many of my ancestors came to this country very close to this time. And I, I just, I think that's an important story to tell because let's be honest, unless we're of native American descent, then we're all either immigrants or descend from immigrants to this country. And I think this just serves as a good reminder, you know, the, the, the roots of how this country grew up. Um, and again, it's, 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 it's a fantasy story, but, but the, uh, but where it's set, um, and who it's made for really brings that story home to, a to a young audience. I just said that in a really roundabout way, but I mean, that's really what I enjoyed about the movie. Seeing it now is that it was, um, it just told that immigrant story. very powerful. And yeah, absolutely. Did you, did you have a favorite scene? <sighs> favorite scene. You know, when Fievel's finally reunited with his family, that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, that's, that, that's a pretty awesome scene. I, I really, I'll be honest. I really like the credits at the end when mm, they had, yeah. you know, it was all, I'm just going to refer to it as artwork yeah. when the work were scrolling up and they had all these scenes of New York or, you know, something of that nature. Um, it was just like, wow, that's, I mean, I really stopped. And a lot of times I'll be like half, half watching credits, half not, but that was, uh, I really enjoyed looking at the the artwork there, but yeah, I guess those would be you know my two favorite scenes. Maybe when he was just heading on board the ship, 
and he was all excited. You know, everyone was leaving, um, you know, the old country and he's all excited about and stopping the, the line of people, you know, and the band, the polka band was playing and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. And then look at that. There's a, that Papa, look at that. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Keep walking, keep walking, you know? So I guess those would be the three parts that I liked the most, but I think the biggest one was when he was reunited with his family. Yeah. In fact, you mentioned the the artwork at the end, and I, that for me is one of the things I really liked about the movie is just the animation style. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it actually yeah. reminded me a lot of uh, when we talked about The Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. How there was kind of this, and I caught you right in the middle of taking a drink. Um, there was this, just kind of the old, a little bit of like an old animation style, because we talked about Black Cauldron being like one of the last movies that Disney did in kind of their old style of animation. And this one, I, th- I read somewhere, Steven Spielberg in particular wanted this to look like an older, softer style of animation as opposed to the new, crisper, you know, looking stuff. He wanted to kind of have a, a soft feel to it. And yeah. it did. It really reminded me of like an old Disney cartoon. And that's the look they were going for because they said it, it's kind of interesting to think of it now where we are seeing all this stuff from our childhood come back. It's like we're, you know, we're. 30s, almost 40 years old, and we're looking at all this stuff coming from our childhood that we're taking our kids to go see. Um, you yeah. know, Transformers and you know, all this other stuff coming out. And Ninja Turtles is out now, and, and Power Rangers is coming, and, and all this. And with this movie, they were looking at that for those people who were nostalgic for the old Disney look and feel of things. Yeah. Like, like the old stuff from, I think Spielberg even said, I want this to be a musical. I want my version of Hi-Ho from Snow White. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want a song that people will sing as much as they do that one. Yeah. Um, one that's as recognizable. And, and it's just the animation style. And I just that's probably one of the things, when I look at that, I, I remember watching this with the kids. And, and I, again, I watched it when it came out. I don't know if we saw it in the theater or not. Um, but we watched this a ton as kids. And then I don't think I've seen it for, gosh, it must be 25 years almost. Um, mm-hmm. Probably probably around the age of like 10 would have been one of the last times I had seen this up until just a few weeks ago. And then we watched it with the kids. And that was one of the first things that hit me was like, the animation in this is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just this whole style of, it just, it seems, you know, when we've got all the, the stuff that computers can do today, it's it's all great and it's all can look very realistic, but there's just something about that old animation style that, I don't know, it just, it carries an extra kind of weight that the animation today, I just don't see. Right. Right. So I, you know, I, I have a few favorite scenes, but I think overall just the look and feel of the movie itself is probably my favorite thing about the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Right on. But yeah, I, you know, I probably, especially as a kid, I know a couple of my favorite scenes would have been the, uh, when the great mouse of Minsk does come out, yeah. um, towards the end of the movie. I just, that whole scene, I remember loving that. Um, the other ones would have been, you know, I, I tended to like some of the songs. Like I liked Henri the pigeon, yep. like his, uh, never say never again song. And, um, you know, I just, I just remember being a fun movie. I remember being a fun movie and, and having all these you know, little characters kind of meet him along the way and, and Tony Tapone trying to, you know, show him the ropes and take care of this little kid. And, um, but I will say the one thing, and I think that's, that's what still hooked me today, even as an adult watching this was 
like I really, and I remember this as a kid, I really cared about these characters and I cared about mm-hmm. what happened to them because they seemed like they were real. Mm-hmm. And whether that's the animation, whether it's the actors, whatever it was, it just that, you know, when, when these characters are put up in these dreadful situations, um, you know, you really, I feel like it's a very emotional movie and you just kind of, you get this feeling of, I really want, I don't want these characters to go through any more of what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I almost turned it on and it was, and I remember it being, I remember as a kid, kid, it was very long and not like long, like, Oh, this is so boring. But just when five was lost, it felt like he was lost for a long time. For a long time. Yeah. When he was captured by the cats, that felt like mm-hmm. you had been captured for a long. And then when I saw it, I'm like, Oh, it's all, it's not even an hour and a half long. Wow. Right. And then as an adult watching through it, I'm like, okay, I, I can see where, oh my gosh, that's an awful scene or oh, mm. well, not awful scene, but right. well, yeah, that's like, oh, that, that's an awful situation rather. Right. Or, wow, that, that's it. And as a kid that really hit home. But as a kid, I, I, you know, time seemed to slow down and it was the, the awful situation seemed to take longer than now as an adult, right. you know, with time flying by. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, because you've got well, I run through, I guess the the step by step of the movie, the plot of the movie. You know, they get their village attacked um, at the beginning by the, and that was another interesting thing. Was I guess, and I forget who it was, one of the, I don't know if it was Spielberg or it was Don Bluth. Um, one of them wanted it to be an all animal world, so mm-hmm. all animals, kind of like, um, well, like some of the other Disney movies where humans don't exist, like. Um, Oh, Robin Hood, the the cartoon with the fox. Um, I'm going to blink out on any of the other ones, but they didn't want humans to be existing in this world, and they kind of, I guess, argued back and forth. But that, to me, was an interesting part, especially watching it as an adult, was you've got these little mice that live alongside other Russian Jews, and yeah. you know, then when the Cossacks attack, you've got the Cossack cats that also attack. Um, you know, and to me, so that was that was an interesting part to me, to have them still living kind of side by side. And, you know, when they have to board the boat, it's not a boat made for mice. It's a boat made for humans. And they're boarding it by running up the ropes on the side. And, um, but yes, yeah, so you've got them leaving and then you've got them coming to America and they're kind of, you know, confronted right away by the con men. Um, you know, even when they get off the boat, they've got the con men, like was one of them trying to sell him an apple and said it was like the last apple ever. You can't, Oh yeah. if you don't buy this one, you're never gonna see another one again. And, um, and then, uh, Fievel kind of meets up with Tony and Bridget and they go to see Honest John, the drunk, uh, politician, um, which I, depending on how you feel, that's something that's topical now. Um, you know, and they've got uh, Gussie Mouseheimer, which was always fun to hear Madeline Kahn, um, mm-hmm. hear her voice in there. Um, I think they even, I think they even refer to Tammany Hall. Didn't, I mean, that struck up. I think, I think they, so. we're, we're going to head down to Tammany Hall, which mm-hmm. was, you know, played a huge role in New York politics and mm-hmm. right there with the immigration and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Don't they even say at one point that the one guy is the poor Irish mouse or whatever died, and but that's not going to stop him from voting or something? I mean, they right. talk about yeah. I mean, you know, they really – they they. They put that in, which is what I think you're saying, mm-hmm. is they really put that lockstep. They they hit the different aspects of immigrating to the country at that time. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, yeah, and then so by the end they, you know, they trick all the cats into getting on the steamer that ends up going to Hong Kong, and then ultimately by the very very end he does get reunited with his family. But it does, like, as you go through the movie, it does feel like it takes a long time, and I think, and I think that's a testament to good storytelling because it's not a long movie; it's an hour and twenty minutes, and that may even be including the credits. It's an hour and twenty minutes, but when he's lost, like you, you feel lost with him. It's like you yeah. get you get that sense of when is this going to end? When is he going to get found? Um, mm-hmm. So let me let me allow that to jump us into some of the comments that were made uh, by uh, Siskel and Ebert. And remember, now they're both dead, so it's not like they can argue back. But um, so I'm going to go ahead and read you a quote from Ebert, and I'll read you a couple of quotes from Siskel, and I'll I'll let you uh, I'll let you start off our our response to that here. Um, okay, so Ebert said, Don Bluth already has addressed the obvious objection to his An American Tale, which is that it is so depressing a story, so that so depressing a story could hardly entertain children. He believes that kids can handle bad times for a, hero, for a movie's hero as long as the film ends happily. The lesson is that we can survive setbacks with pluck and courage. That may be so, but the hero of an American tale, a young mouse named Fievel, is made to undergo such hardships in this movie that the children in the audience may despair long before the happy ending. So what he's saying is, this movie is so depressing that kids will not enjoy it. So before you answer that, let me ask you, did you watch this with your kids? I, you know what? I have not watched it with my kids. Okay. Um, would I? Yeah. Yeah, I did, and they loved it. Yeah. You know, were were they worried a few times? Yeah, but I I mean that's I think that's good storytelling. It draws you into the story and and you do kind of worry about the characters and maybe you do despair a little bit, but it ends happily. Yeah. And I I think that you know if you look at the movie, I think if you watch it from a kid perspective, which I remember doing, all the added, well, the the you know, the story of immigration and that many of these things, you know, that metaphorically speaking did happen to mm-hmm. immigrants and to this day continue to happen to immigrants to this country. But as a kid, I think you're going to watch it and just see good guys, bad guys. He's separated from home. He finds buddies. Right. He, they capture him. He escapes. They make the big mouse. It scares the heck out of it. But look, they're chasing the cats. Everyone said, I mean, I, I don't, you know, you don't latch onto those things and you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, without running the risk of getting too ethnic or political or I, whatever the right word for this is, is it because is he using that criticism on behalf of an American audience who maybe has not gone through as many hardships as let's just use the example from the movie, a, a Russian immigrant or someone from a country where times have been harder and, and you've gone through more hardships, is it is he is Ebert responding that way, saying that American kids who were born in America, who maybe have a little bit of an easier life than some other countries in the world, it's too dis, it's too dis, depressing for them. I don't, you know what? Because I, lo- I look at that and I'm like, I, kids who actually may have gone through this in real life may look at that movie and go, oh, that's totally what we went through. But but the thing yeah and the thing is Ebert Ebert was an intelligent, well educated which maybe means the same thing hmm. he's you know not he's always 
He's okay. Good. Then we, I'll use them both. We have we have plenty of people around that are well educated, but not necessarily intelligent. <laughs> they lack a certain intelligence. Uh-huh. No, I, I honestly I can't see him saying that because I mean I I, I don't I couldn't see. I mean I've never met the guy, but he seems like a really well educated, intelligent man. I mean I, I and I think that anybody. And maybe that would make a movie like this even more important because I don't think it's I think it's important to not forget that we are a nation made up of immigrants. Right. And I think that's one of our biggest problems is that we have incredibly um, short what is it? Uh, short term memory loss mm-hmm. or long term memory loss. And it's easy to be one or two generations removed and then suddenly be like, Well, we're here now, so it's our way that it's our way that goes. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, it was like, it's easy to, for me to sit here and talk about, you know, like I said, I'm Irish and Italian. Okay. But I'm, I'm like, I don't know, fourth generation. I mean, I, I'm, I'm an American. I right. mean, basically in, in, the, in the modern sense of the thing. Right. But, you know, I can't forget that it was only however many generations ago that my ancestors were coming over here at the age of 12, poor, mm-hmm. um, you know, had to work their way up, had to learn the language. Um, you know, the Irish ancestors came over here and basically were dirt poor, running from a plague or a famine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah. And 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 it's and it's important to remember those roots, not to be like, oh, well, look how hard you know my ancestors had it. But it's important to remember those roots, to look at how the current immigrants, whoever those people are, you know. It's important to remember what they're going through and that that's what our families went through back in the day. And so I, I would think that a movie like this, it, I think a movie like this was in, it would be important exactly for that fact. Right, right. Well, and I don't, you know, obviously I don't want to put words in the mouth of somebody who's gone and right. I've never met him. So I can't begin to say what I think he's thinking, but I'm going to try anyway. Um, yeah. You know, is it almost sounds like in his critique of the movie – what he's saying, if you try to boil it down, at least to me, it sounds like he's saying there's so much hardship and despair in this movie. Let's not bother, you know, good American kids with that. Hmm. Whereas I feel like that's kind of like what I was trying to say was, was if you are an immigrant or maybe you are the child or grandchild of an immigrant who you've, you, you at least have stories of this that are fairly recent, maybe you can look at that movie and it doesn't look too depressing it it looks more like a oh yes this is what they went through and maybe what ebert is trying to say is oh well that's there's there's a lot of depressing stuff in here well you know one person's depressing is another person's that's how it was so i'm wondering if he's trying to say that if he's trying to say you know let's let's not oh it's it's a little too depressing for you know american kids so let's not saddle them with any kind of feelings of of guilt or sadness or like well, yeah. you know, some people some people leave countries because of war or because of famine or because of other things. So, you know, I, I don't know, getting lost in New York City maybe not the, maybe not the most depressing thing you can think of. And so I don't know. I to me his his criticism of it does not hold up. I don't, you know, my kids. I don't remember. I don't remember feeling depressed when I watched it as a child. I don't. And my kids were not depressed watching it. Yeah, I think it's and, got a, it's got a good message to it, and it's got a good story and. Yeah, and I mean, okay, and like I said, you see it when you're two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Well, you're going to see what's there. You're going to see the forest for the trees or, you know, right. and and see, okay, 
main character, adventure, loss, gain. You and, know, and then there's the everyone, then there's the great political stuff for the adults. Like there's the funny political commentary for the adults, and exactly. And and for the kids on the in between age, well, you know, when you're 12 or 13 years old, uh, yeah, then you really you really didn't do need to start getting a getting a dose of what this country was founded on. Yeah, and you need to get a dose of this is the story of many people that are you know. The ancestors of you and the ancestors of your, you know, friends and all that, you know, your fellow citizens. And obviously not exactly, especially because this was set in the 1880s and now it's the, well, during this movie, the 1980s and now the 2000, you know, teens. There's still immigrants coming to this country that are, are not coming with all the things that we have. Right. So... It is important to tell those stories, and it is important to give it a little bit. I mean, I feel like an idiot saying unvarnished because this. I don't think this is quite the unvarnished truth. We're talking no, about yeah, a beautiful, absolutely not, yeah. animated fantasy story. So mm-hmm. to put, to inject a little bit of reality in there, or to base it on a story to kind of like, you know, tell a story of immigration in 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 a way that's appropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. I mean. My gosh, I, what better way can there be to do that? Right. And and what's wrong with, you know, exposing kids to what hardship looks like? Yeah. You know, I mean, what are you going to shelter them from that their entire lives? So what do they do when they experience it? The, you know, can you do it in the form of a cartoon and let them watch that? And maybe they can, you know, if, if they're old enough to kind of realize what's going on, maybe they can empathize with the character a little bit. I mean... Nora, who's five years old, she she was sitting there. You know, it didn't it didn't ruin her life. It didn't devastate her. But you know, she was genuinely kind of worried when Fivel was you know missing and separated from his family. And but she talked it through, and she's like, "Oh, you know, I felt really I felt really bad for him, and he got lost, and and I was kind of worried." And but then it turned out fine. Yeah. And so maybe she got a sense of you know some of the hardships that so that when she goes to learn either in school or through reading books or whatever about the immigrant experience, she'll at least have some kind of a sense that, oh, well, you know, immigrating to the United States was not always wine and roses. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a, you know, like a Disney cruise for people to get over here. There was plenty. Still isn't. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, then let me give you what Siskel said and then mm-hmm. you can comment on that one too because you know, we've said that we thought they did a, a, a pretty good job of, Giving you, you know, for the adults, there's a little bit of social and political commentary in there. For the kids, it's a, you know, a story about immigration, coming to a new land, and, um, you know, and all that. So here's what Siskel said, and this actually comes from, I I cut a few different parts. I'm not really taking them out of context, but I did cut a few parts from a much longer, um, because this was a a video clip of when they did their uh, review show in 86. Uh, A few of his comments were, the animation is passable meaning he wasn't very, like, he wasn't uh, excited about the animation at all. He thought that it was uh, average at best. Okay. And then here's his other quote, and I I wish I had you and Jeff together for this one. Siskel said... You need to get Jeff and I together for this one? I feel like there's there's an Indiana Jones discussion coming on here. (laughs) So Siskel said, you actually get some pretty bad stereotypes. You get some pretty bad racist caricatures. And go. Wait, that's it? He didn't give an example? Uh, he, 
you know, he kind of listed off some of the, like the Irish and the Italian and the, um, you know, some of the other, so he listed off some of the different, um, ethnicities that you experience in the movie, but he referred to them as he, he thought they were really bad stereotypes and that they were racist caricatures. Hmm. Did did he say in what sense or he did? I, I want, and I want to say he specifically mentioned that there was the drunk Irishman, mm-hmm. um, that there were like the corrupt politicians and the, you know, so he did list off a few examples. Corrupt politicians were stereotyping. Well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> the guy's dead. Vote for him anyway. Um, I, well, that was, I mean, that, it, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like speechless. We're, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, and obviously we're taking this out of context and we're going second person, right. but he's he's offended because the movie depicted an ethical polit- political process. No, it I was mean, it was mostly it was mostly the stereotype oh. stereotypical characters. Okay. And go. I, I yeah, I, I I don't know what to say to that other than, you know, I mean Yeah, I mean okay, well the Irish, yeah, you don't want to say that um every Irishman is a drunk Irishman and all that kind of thing. But I mean, alcoholism is, was a big problem. Right. You know, I mean, and it was like, when you look at the situation that a lot of the Irish immigrants came from, I mean, there was a lot of turning to alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's the same thing that you're seeing on, on, um, you know, Native American reservations, right? right. I mean, you know, the, the talk about the, the rampant drinking and, and, mm-hmm. and, and alcoholism, and it's because that they're, they're, the way forward was not clear. There was, there's no way to work out of their current situation. When, you're, when mean, you're in a certain economic situation, there's only a few different ways you can turn. Right, right. So, and, so, I, guess, so I guess with this is... Is he worried that because it's in a cartoon, it's making light of the alcoholism related to having an Irish mouse? You know, is it is it something that maybe is not appropriate for a cartoon? Is that what he's trying to say? Or I can't well, ask me, him. I can't ask him because he's dead. But we can't ask him, and we're assuming. And I, I don't mean right. I don't know what the guy's saying. But let me let me ask let me ask this. He's saying, is it inappropriate to put that in a cartoon because it's too sensitive an issue? That's that's what I'm asking. I'm asking okay. is maybe that his reason for saying that? Is it more appropriate to allow it to go on in our country? Okay. Is it more appropriate? Oh, my God, God, we don't want to offend the kids. But you know what? We're going to let it happen anyway in our inner cities or in our ghettos or in our whatever. Now, you can say, well, this happened back in like the 1880s. So what are you going to do about it? But it was like, well, that was the problem with, you know, the Irish, okay, and and the whiskey and all that, and that was the drug of choice, and that's what people turned to, and that was that was the the I hate to say plague, but that was the that was the war on drugs that had to be fought back in the 1880s. And what was the answer? Was temperance the answer, or was the problem, or was the answer allowing these immigrant families a, a, a chance to work out of the squalor that they were forced to live in? Okay, well, it was the latter. Yeah, right. You can't ban the sale of alcohol. What you can do is give people a way out so that they're not turning to these things. What was going on in the 80s? Well, the, the beginning of the war on drugs and, and crack cocaine and all that kind of thing. And did we do really much to, to solve that? No, that just happens in our inner cities. That just happens in our ghettos. That doesn't happen out here in the suburbs where we all live. That just happens. That we don't want to deal with that problem. So all of a sudden, now you've got something that comes along and shines a light on a problem that happened for 
white American immigrants, and what do we want to do? Oh, oh that with the that's stereotyping. We, we we don't we don't want to deal with that. That's inappropriate. Because what? Well, a little bit scary how it draws a link from one immigrant group to the other. And maybe it has nothing to do, maybe the problems with drugs have nothing to do with, you know, a certain ethnicity, gee, you think, and it has to do with what kind of living conditions. And so maybe a movie comes along and shines a little bit of a light on living conditions for earlier immigrants, and we see a little bit of the yucky side and the nasty side, and... Maybe it hits a little bit too close to home for when that movie came out. Just like now, maybe that hits a little bit too close to home when you've got refugees from Syria holed up in refugee camps with very little future. Maybe that maybe this hits a little too close to home. And uh, you know what? Let's let's just keep it hidden. So I I mean I can't say that that's what you know Siskel specifically wanted wanted to say. But as far as as that point of well, that's stereotyping. What is it? it what, what do we want? Do we want them just to be walking around in a green cap with a, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, singing Danny boy. And, you know, that's just, Hey, everything was happy. Go lucky. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Did that make any sense? I kind of got off no. on a tangent. No, that's fine. You, it's now the 30 something political podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's, we might have to no, 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 that's, no, 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 that's fine. We just thought, we just lost our two listeners. That's the that's the reason I I poke the bear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, I, you I poke know. the bear and the poke you poke the bear and sometimes it has good things to say. Yeah, that's right. Well, I I I just think that yeah, okay. I don't maybe it was stereotyping, but they didn't depict every Irishman as a drunk. Right. They did depict some Irishmen like that. Well, that was, that was a reality. Alcoholism was a reality. Yeah. And, you know, but. To, to which if, if they want to say, you know, and again, he didn't necessarily say this, but. That, no, that's, we're, not, that, that's, we're not saying specifically Siskel. We're just. Right. But know, if yeah. somebody wanted to say, then that's not appropriate for a children's story, then I would challenge you, as we did a few years ago, go back and rewatch the Disney movie Pete's Dragon. Mm-hmm. There was a ridiculous amount of drinking in that movie mm-hmm. that I did not remember because it had been years since I watched that one. Yeah, and we went back and watched that a few years ago, and we were actually we were showing it to John I think when he was little, and because Sharon loved that movie and she loved the music from that movie, and I remember loving that movie. I'm like, yeah, let's show him. And so I think maybe he was three at the time, and you go they go in the one scene and they're in the bar and everybody's drunk and drinking and fighting, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember this. Yeah. It's, so yeah. It's a, so if you, I mean, if you want to argue that you know maybe the idea of making an alcoholic mouse, you know, it's, again, it's only for like a few seconds on the screen. Mm-hmm. But if you want to argue that point, then let's go back and look at some other movies where there's a little bit more content like that that was, you know, maybe not, maybe wouldn't be uh, um, approved of by modern audiences. Yeah, and and I mean, obviously, he wrote this back in the '80s, but I mean. Yeah, so I mean, my next point was going to be what we get kind of, ooh, we don't want to show that in the movie. You know, it's interesting what we, what, what, what our filter show, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't want to show anything of a sexual nature. Okay, the drinking, oh, that gets a little iffy, but I mean, you don't mind, we don't mind, you know, some violence. What, what do right. we allow? And obviously, this was written back in the 80s. The other thing, too, is, I mean, What's what's always been the way of dealing with 
drug addiction, drugs, or alcoholism, right? right. I mean, I first of all, I said, oh, that, that's a problem that only exists in the inner cities. Whatever the, whatever the minority, whatever the, the lower socioeconomic classes, whatever, that's a problem for the cities. Oh, well, maybe now it's coming out into the suburbs and now it's coming out of the cities. Oh, wow, this, you know, then we act shocked. But I mean, even that, alcoholism used to be swept under the rug and it wasn't even thought of as a, as a disease. It was, you know, oh, so-and-so just can't hold their liquor, mm-hmm. you know. For drugs, I mean, we tried to just, you know, lock people up and throw them in jail. <laughs> well, that didn't really. So, I mean, only now, I, it, like I said, I'm probably firing up our four listeners that, <laughs> you know, are, you know are, are still listening after my last rant. But I mean, if I'm going to say this, the idea of treating drug addiction as opposed to criminalizing it, you know, that's a really new concept. So I could see 30 years ago, seeing those things have it be, uh, yeah. No, no, no. I think I think for this episode, we've totally hooked the four listeners we have in Russia and the two listeners we have in Ireland. <laughs> They're in, man. They're so at the in, very man. least, if we lose anybody else, at least we got those six. That's right. That's right. And I, I don't know. I mean, and then the one kid, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to jump to the other ethnicities, but I mean, I, you know, the Italian kid, Tony, I mean... Mm-hmm. He seemed like a good guy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I didn't see. Well, you know. and and one of the other criticisms, I guess, was uh, I read this in a couple of different places. Some of the other criticisms were that the immigrants are all that it's not realistic that that there's a weird balance between realism and a cartoon, in that you've got all of the immigrants. Whereas a lot of this movie is trying to make things look realistic. Like the animation kind of makes it look realistic and you, you have real life situations and you've got these animals living among the human world. And yet when it comes to the immigrants, their critique of it was the immigrants are all noble and hardworking people. And, and the villains are all just one dimensional, clear villains. Uh, you know, it's all the, the cats and they're all bad. And I'm like, well, there was the one good cat. There's tiger. You know, mm-hmm. he was a good cat. Um, and I guess as, as people are looking at that, I think they're looking at the, the metaphor of the whole thing and say, okay, well, what are the cats supposed to be? If the cats are supposed to be the the Cossacks in Russia, then what are the cats supposed to be in America? And some people have said, well, it's kind of the anti-immigrant uh, natives, in a, in a native for the lack of a better term, um, not Native Americans, but like well, Am- it's, Americans it's- who are born here. I'm going to, I'm going to jump across. I mean, in the little bit of, in the little bit of reading I've done about that time, the group of Americans that didn't like the immigrants were called, they called themselves native Americans. Mm -hmm. And the first couple of times I read, I would read about times in New York and all that. It was like native American. Wait, what? But it was native born Americans. Right. Essentially people of European, of white European descent that didn't want new immigrants coming in and they called them native Americans. Look, we stole that too. And, well, we, we stole that too because in today's day and age, what, what, yeah, right. but in today's day and age, they're called nativists. Right. I mean, you know, you look, you, there's that, well, and getting into politics. Anyway, continue. <laughs> I'm sorry. But they did, yeah. I just, ahead, I just, I just yeah. stick with native Texan and it doesn't bother anybody. <laughs> That's right. It That's explains, right. it explains a lot and it doesn't bother anybody. That's right. All right. Well, but, but that's, yeah. that's who I think those cats were, mm-hmm. was, you know, those crazy cats. Yeah. All right. Well, 
uh, we are we're kind of running in our time here. So, uh, do you have a one sentence message for anybody who maybe has not seen this movie before? What would you tell them in one sentence? Great kids movie based around an immigrant story. Okay. I don't think that grammatically made any sense, but no, I think I, I think it was fine. Based on an immigrant's tale. I'm I'm not. Uh, I see what you did there. Immigrant's tale. Yeah. See. Yeah. Uh-huh. See. I see what you did there. Um, yeah. No, I'm not going to grade your grammar on this tonight. That's fine. Um, all right. So my one sentence would be. I think it's a great cartoon that's got a great lesson and a great message. And the animation is awesome as well. So go see it now. Yeah. All right. Um, the sequel, maybe not so much. I was not as much a fan. Even as a kid, I was not as much a fan of Five Goes West. But, yeah, you know, it, it was all right. You know, So if, you, if your kid's like this, sure, let them see that. And then I guess there was a TV show for a while, too. And there may have been some other, like, direct-to-video sequels but if you want to go see some don bluth movies see this one see land before time we must have watched land before time if we had a videotape of it we probably destroyed it watching it so much yeah um yeah all all those movies that he did um we just must have watched every single one of them repeatedly yeah all right movies and i mean and here's and i mean the thing is you know that's that's the thing none of us should be sitting here guessing well was this true was this not was this stereotyping go pick up a book go pick up 10 books go you know if you want to go the movie route well and you're an adult check out gangs of new york right again still fictional still fantasy i mean not you know that that's like you know a documentary on it but check out a bunch of different things you know and well, I can't think of a, I, and I'm, I'm trying to do this off the top of my head and it's not going to work. And I know, you know, of those six people that are listening, they're going to be yelling at their iPhones or their radio or whatever they're listening on, um, that they came out last year. Um, I can't think of a movie, a cartoon recently that deals with this kind this type of topic. I'm thinking of the cartoons that have come out recently. I mean, stuff like Minions and... Inside Out, and you know, good cartoons, fun movies, but I can't think of a cartoon that's come out recently that deals with immigration, like deals with a heavier, serious historical topic, and does it in this way. No, I know we're probably forgetting something. And again, those you know, four people from Russia, the two people from Ireland, and the you know, the couple of Native Americans that are listening, um, or nativists, is that? Yeah. Doing. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah I, yeah, I can't think of one in the last few years that's dealt with this kind of topic in the way this movie deals with it, where it's it's like it's meaningful, it's heartfelt, and it's also I don't want to say historically accurate, but you know it it makes a children's attempt at being you know showing you some of the history. Yeah, and it's like any movie. Pick up, go use it as a jumping off point. Don't sit here and guess. Don't sit here. You know, if you're, right. and that's, that's my thing with the critics and I'm not, I'm not an expert. Right. You know, if you want to, if, if you want to know more about Pearl Harbor after you watch the movie, go pick up the book. <laughs> the, um, the, uh, here it is late at night and I'm trying to get you riled up. Yeah, you are, man. And see, it is funny. You said, hey, this was probably going to be a quick one. And I was like, I watched this movie and I'm just like, I'm going to have to really keep my mouth shut because if the other guys are there, either I'm going to make this thing. Mm-mm. I can stretch this thing into tomorrow morning. If we're, but I, I mean, it's just like, 
don't don't speak and criticize from a position. And that's why I think Siskel and Ebert are really educated guys. So mm-hmm. I don't. I, we we use their things as a jumping off point. But yeah. I, you know, if any of their family or friends are listening, I I don't know. That, I would love to have heard their thoughts explained a little bit more. And it, yeah. it had their positions evolved over the last thirty years because it's it's just when you look at something like this, you know, immigration and people of different social classes and economic, you know, just try and walk in someone else's shoes. Don't have short-term memory about where your ancestors came from and, right. and just speak from a position of being informed, not a position of ignorance. Right. When you're Well, and maybe from a movie criticism side of things, you know, there's a, there's an argument out there among movie critics. Do you need to see a movie more than once to be able to base an opinion Mm-hmm. And some people, there were some very famous critics that said, no, I should be able to watch a movie one time. And based mm-hmm. on that one viewing that I can give you my opinion as a movie critic of that movie. Others have said, no, 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 no. You need to go watch it several times because then you're not going to get everything on the first viewing. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. That's it. If you, I'm, I'm going to start the music, but if you, you know, feel free, if you want to sing along to it, then you go right ahead. All right. Well, you have been. Thank you, Pat. This was a good discussion, and that's know, good. Un- unlike you I and Jeff, we didn't try to kill each other, or that's right, man. So there's there's still a lot of love here on this podcast. All right. Yeah. Well, it'd be, I'd be. I'd, it's it's a shame. We should wake Jeff up. I'm going to call him and wake <laughs> him up. That should speaking of poking the bear. Right. Jeff, wake up. What do you think of this? It's only ten o'clock. Wake up and talk to us. Yeah. All righty. Well, we are next time around. Uh, we are going to be actually. You know what? Next time after this one, because we, we're actually recording these a little bit earlier, um, and so you may notice some differences when we talk about new movie news. Because we're going to kind of cut some of those in and do a little creative editing here. Uh, we've got spring break coming up as teachers, so we're not going to be around for one of the weeks here. So we're doing a couple of uh, recordings ahead of time. Um, as of the time this one comes out our next movie will actually be batman versus superman so we've got the new one coming up uh pat you and i are going to go see it i think on opening night and then uh, i think a couple of the other guys are going to go see it so then we will try to get one out i want to say that that episode is going to be the very last one of march and that should come out what is that wednesday the 30th yep so that episode will be coming out wednesday the 30th uh so our next episode after this one will be on batman versus superman and we will give you our full critique of that one and uh, whether or not we are that one or whether we're just kind of going to watch that one and then move on and get ready for Captain America. Uh, so you've been listening to the 30 something movie podcast. How can you get in touch with us again? I'm not going to rattle off everything because you can just go to the website now. Uh, we've got our, we've got our blog. We've got our website. So everything's up. Everything's good. There may be some stuff we didn't get to in talking about American tale. Uh, so if that's the case, we'll put some up there. And uh, so go to 30podcast.com, uh, and then you'll be able to find us. But if you want to, we're on Twitter, at 30podcast. You can email us, 30podcast.gmail.com, and you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 30podcast. Uh, but go to 30podcast.com, and you'll find all of our other stuff there. Uh, so again, from me, your host, John, and Pat, thank you, hey. again. thank you again, Pat. Thank you, John. All right. We hope you all have a lovely evening. And there are no cats in America, by the way. That's right. All right.